0: This is the Doing Good Through Food podcast, hosted by Alex Coffin. Join us as we explore all the ways food and the
1: businesses that serve it can be a force for good in the world. Hi, everybody. Alex here. Welcome to Doing Good Through Food. My guest today is Katie Franklin, Operations Director of ReFed. ReFed are the only nonprofit in the United States wholly dedicated to food waste reduction. They are a think tank that works with decision makers across the whole food system to reduce food waste using a systems approach and using economic analysis. A lot of that is high level, systems level <clears throat> changes that are needed to improve outcomes at a national level, but they also generate practical advice for food retail businesses at an individual level. And the unique unique approach that they take to rating the effectiveness of different measures makes it very easy to see where to focus your efforts for best results. REFED published a seminal piece of work in 2016, their roadmap, which detailed a route to 20% reduction in food waste within a decade in the States. It laid out 27 feasible, scalable solutions with the benefits of each of them demonstrated so that they could show basically that each benefit comprehensively outweighed the costs involved. So we spent quite a long time talking about that piece of work and also talk about the online platform that's going to supersede it later this year, uh, the Insights Engine, which launches in October 2020. We spoke nearly two months ago in mid-March when the, the threat of... COVID had only just started to be felt in the US and the UK. I mention that because one thing our conversation doesn't cover is the pandemic. And if we were to speak now, I think it'd be a key topic, really. The front page of Refed's website is dedicated to the effect that COVID's had on the food system and the entire supply chain, actually, and the the new barriers to access and distribution that it has put in place, how they they as an organisation are responding and advice about what we can all do to help. So, if you're interested in in that in particular, in in the pandemic and and uh, the effects on the food system, then I'd suggest go click through to their website now from the link in the show notes, um, and you'll find out a lot more there. Otherwise, just listen on, um, and I hope you enjoy. What I, I found to be a really interesting, informative conversation with somebody who's spent their entire career working on strategies and systems to effectively reduce food waste at all levels at the consumer level with food waste food service providers private firms and and so on if you've got any comments we always love to receive them you can engage with us on twitter the handle is at doing good food or email us directly podcast at com. katie welcome to doing good through food hi alex
0: thanks so much for having me and happy to be here today
1: it's my pleasure to have you on thank you for making time to speak to me. I wondered if we could maybe start with your involvement with Refed, you know, personally, your involvement, how you became involved and why why did you want to be involved with them as an organization?
0: Sure. So I started working on food waste about four years before I came to the Refed team. And at other organizations, when I was working on food waste, it was one of many topics that we were covering as kind of a broader look at sustainability or impact investing or what have you. And so mm-hmm. I came to REFED because it really presented the opportunity to focus on food waste reduction. It's a topic I'm really passionate about for a multitude of reasons. And REFED not only gave that opportunity to really focus on food waste, but It also is an organization with a really unique look at the sector. We have this high-level view, this convening power, this reliance on data and insights, and all of those things combined were really attractive to me. And so when I had the opportunity to join the team, I really jumped at it um, and have been with Refed for about three years now and really loving what I do here.
1: And Refed as an organization is relatively young itself, so it's... um... If I'm understanding what I've uh, read correctly, it, it really came into being with the with the report, with the roadmap. So so we're talking sort of four or five years that it's been maybe in existence, maybe a little longer. but when you were coming into that sort of you know when it was even younger, only a couple of years old, was it already clear to you that this this is going to be an organization that is that will be successful and that will have an impact because of the approach they're taking?
0: You know, when I, so Reef had really started as an idea. And when the report came out in 2016, it wasn't an organization yet. At that point, we've, um, you know, we're under the umbrella of another nonprofit organization. We had a really fabulous steering committee who was helping lead the strategy of the organization. Um, But we didn't really start hiring people until about a year after the report came out. And after the report came out, we also realized that there were some really specific gaps in the sector that Refed could help fill by you know, continuing this powerful data insights work, um, as well as you know, looking at opportunities to really convene and coordinate action across the sector, because we you know, started with this multi-stakeholder approach. So I think when I joined it, it honestly probably wasn't quite clear yet the impact that we were going to have or are going to have in the future, but it was very clear the opportunity. There were a lot of folks that were already looking to us for, you know, what's next in, in data and insights and trends in the space. Um, we we're starting to recognize we had this uh, special role we could play in convening multi-stakeholder initiatives. And we we're also realizing that uh, we had a, a really unique expertise on the capital innovation side uh, where we could influence a lot of money into the sector. So, I'd say it wasn't quite clear um, at the moment that I joined, but there's mm-hmm. definitely opportunity for a lot of growth and a lot of creativity and you know being as young as we are, we're still exploring that and i I don't think we've tapped our full potential yet
1: sure and do you, is that still um, is it still a fairly unique approach you said you know the organizations you worked at before it tended to address food waste as as one of a range of Issues under a sort of umbrella of sustainability or something to that effect. Is that still generally the approach, or do you are more, is food waste more of a singular focus for more organizations this they you know, nowadays, do you think?
0: At, at really the national and, and high level that we work, we still are one of the few, if not the only organization in the US who's focused entirely on food waste. Although there are hundreds of nonprofit and commercial organizations that are entirely focused on food waste. So if you think about the folks at at the local, you know, or national level who are, you know, moving food around, providing innovative solutions for food businesses to help prevent, uh, recover and recycle food waste. So there's a, you know, we're definitely not the only one out there who's, you know, Totally engulfed in food waste all day, every day. But um, in the the specific way in which we work, it's still pretty unique organization.
1: I wonder if I could ask you a bit more about the the roadmap. Perhaps we could sort of start start with diving into that. I mean, is from what I again from the research I've done, it seems to be. But is it is it right that that's still the the center of your work, the sort of the centerpiece, the coordinating point around around which other work Um, feeds in, is that would that be fair to say?
0: Um, In the sense of data and insights being the centre of our work absolutely yes Um, the roadmap is something that we've built on over the years, so we've put out additional reports and research that dive more into you know different segments of the supply chain and the food industry side we've put out a report on capital in the space with a a special report on philanthropic funding there's some places where we've gone a little bit deeper um, but really keeping that data and insights piece core and then we're actually undergoing a, a huge project right now to develop what's called the insights engine which will be kind of the the next version of the roadmap, and that'll be a, a digital-first, interactive resource that we're updating a lot more regularly than every four to five years.
1: That sounds fascinating. Just to, I suppose, maybe give a bit of background for if people haven't come across the roadmap or or, or across refed itself, even the strapline, if you like, was the roadmap shows an achievable path to a twenty percent reduction of food waste within a decade through twenty-seven cost-effective feasible and scalable solutions. And then within that, it gave a a huge amount of of information and, you know, sort of resources to achieve that. One of the things I really wanted to ask about was the the hierarchy within these um, approaches. And I think that's quite a unique approach, certainly, and among the things that I've read to really rank and categorize and, and sort of spell out the effects, the relative effects of these different measures. In particular, this the hierarchy of prevention, recovery, and then recycling in in that order is that focus still taken? Is is that the recommendation that you still make in the work that's followed on from that for people that are interested in improving food waste generally?
0: Absolutely. Um, so that the prevention, recovery, recycling hierarchy, we unfortunately can't take the credit for that. That's something <laughs> no, that not. the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Developed and is often referred to as the inverted triangle, and there are a couple other levels depending on on whose inverted triangle you look at. But that, yeah, that that approach is recognized um, globally, really, as the most impactful ways that we can address food waste. and And the reason prevention is such an emphasis is really from the climate and environmental sustainability standpoint, because all of the resources whether that's natural resources, human resources, um, everything that goes into the food that we're producing, if we can prevent that waste, that's such an exponential savings above what we're going to get from recycling food waste, for instance. So making sure that we're preserving all of those resources, preventing all those greenhouse gases from being emitted, that's really top of mind for us and others working on the topic.
1: But I imagine it's, it's one of the harder areas to to sort of quantify and get you know get uh, hold of or, or engage people around perhaps or um or i imagine it could be I, it, people would understand i suppose the idea of recycling and recovering food but preventing it is maybe slightly less tangible is that do you is that right or am i um off on that do you think
0: oh no no that that does make sense and in terms of of quantifying it does get a little bit challenging because sometimes we're trying to measure what if scenarios And there's a lot of extrapolation and modeling that goes into that in terms of, you know, what if we prevented this food? And then looking at areas where food has been prevented, looking at, okay, what if this food had been produced and had been wasted? So there's a lot of scenario building um, and work we do with our external partners to really vet any type of assumptions we're making on that front. But it does get challenging, um, honestly, across the whole spectrum of solutions to measure. So we are heavily reliant on and really appreciate the work that our partners do to help make sure we get access to good data. And this Insights Engine project, for instance, we're pulling over 50 public and pro- proprietary data sets, as well as you know working with, with individuals to report data directly to us. Um, but there's so much effort that goes into the data collection of side of things, and there's a lot of opportunity for improvement across the sector really better measurement reporting uh, better transparency and data while still respecting that um, and I think this is a good thing that food waste is starting to become a competitive edge that that folks have over their uh, you know others in their industry so we're starting to see mm. um, you know emerging concerns if you will around sharing data uh, which on one hand makes it challenging but on the other hand it means that this is starting to really become a business proposition which is what I
1: think is going to drive change. I, I've got to say that was, um, it was something that jumped out of the report actually uh, at, at me as well as is something I was going to ask you about. The, I think you said that, you know, if they act quickly, businesses, other stakeholders, they can, you know, increase profits and build brands and build engagements and all, all those um, benefits to them. Do, do those um, benefits still exist in the same way? Uh, you know, it's been – four 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 ish years since publication i mean have those um early adopters had that benefit and or does it sort of still exist for people to to have in the same way do you think
0: uh it's absolutely still there and i i'd say food businesses have only started to scratch the surface in terms of the benefits they're going to reap especially uh, primarily on the financial side um and you don't have to be an early adopter of these solutions to get those benefits it's it's not a, a zero-sum zero sum game, if you will. Yeah, so,
1: sure.
0: so really, any business who starts adopting these solutions has an opportunity to start seeing cost savings, you know, especially because in the food industry, you know, food is their main product that they're buying, selling, moving around, and so on. And so every time that they're increasing the efficiency of how they're using the food within their own system, then that's an opportunity for cost savings.
1: Another thing that jumped from this report was the... Within this hierarchy, and this um, you know, rated the effect of these different measures was just how much of an effect the um, consumer education campaigns have. Do you see do you do you try to promote and, and sort of educate people about the role that cafes, restaurants and so on have to play in education as well it's not necessarily just sort of cost saving for them and brand building and that sort of thing that they can have a role in education that might might be even bigger than the effect they could have looking at their own operations.
0: Absolutely, um, you know, we refed primarily works with you know everyone except consumers. Um, so consumer education. Really is an area where we ourselves don't have expertise, but there's a lot of great groups who are working on it. You know, whether it's Natural Resources Defense Council at the national level or or others doing it um, locally. But then we also think there's a huge role for consumer-facing businesses to be playing. Whether that's uh, you know a restaurant, whether that's your food service provider or your grocery retail store, they have so many more connection points with consumers. Um, just uh, from day to day, and they have such an opportunity to influence consumer purchasing decisions and and how folks are using food. So we think there's a huge opportunity for consumer facing businesses to step into that role. We've seen some, like General Mills, for instance, did a consumer education campaign that was around uh, reducing food waste in the homes. And we at Refed think that. Those have a greater opportunity to really be more impactful, especially here in the U.S., than maybe um, kind of a standalone consumer education campaign would, simply because people are already paying attention in those venues and they're already thinking about food in those scenarios. So it's really the right kind of time and place to add in messaging around how people can you know, reduce food waste, how they can be saving more money on, in their own homes and things like that.
1: Brilliant. And just um not to not to stay on this on the roadmap too long, but I, I also I was um wanted to ask these the different measures that are, you know, they're they're analyzed in different respects. And one of the the, or the the leading metric, if you like, was the economic value analysis. And then these measures are also um shown in in terms of their environmental impact and you know, food waste reduction and those sorts of things. Was, was leading with um, env- economic value the best way to get stakeholders to engage? Do you, do you find that that is the easiest way to get people in and discussing these sorts of issues generally?
0: You know, it varies depending on who you're talking to. I'd say in terms of putting out just a national report that was trying to get everyone's attention – um probably was the right way to go especially since our main audience was kind of the industry um as Mm -hmm. opposed to you know it wasn't specifically targeting policymakers or specifically targeting consumers so that economic case made sense to everyone um and everyone kind of could see themselves in that in terms of the opportunity that they had so i I think that works really well, especially when you have so many different audiences that you're trying to connect with and, and trying to grab the attention of. And then what we've seen over the past couple of years is, um, you know, emerging themes. Most probably, most importantly, and most recently, around climate change. You know, that's become a real, you know, headline grabber. There's been so much news around it. Project Drawdown just came out with an update to their um, their global report on on how to address climate change, the IPCC report um, called out food waste towards the end of last year. So climate change has become a, a real strong narrative around food waste um, in the past six to 12 months. But I'd say no matter who we're talking to, the, the economic case still makes sense, whether that's a food business or a capital provider or even a municipality. They're really looking for that economic um, argument.
1: Makes a lot of sense. I mean, what we're really talking about, or I suppose what you as an organization are talking about and through the roadmap and so on is, is a, it's a high level approach. Like you said, you're, you're a national organization. You're talking about systems and systems approach to food waste and systems level change, that that sort of thing. And when we're talking about a systems approach, again, maybe just to, it might be a phrase that someone listening hasn't heard of. What what does a systems approach to fighting food waste mean to you?
0: Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, you know, at Refed, it means that we're looking at the problem from a systems view. So in in terms of what are the different kind of pieces that need to move together. What is the mix of solutions? Whether you're looking at kind of those 27 solutions or thinking about different levers like financing and policy. So really thinking of the fact that our our food system is a system. It's not static, it's not simple. Um, So we need a you know multifaceted view to look at the solutions to it. And so When we talk about taking a systems approach, we're talking about a lot of actors moving in the same or similar directions um, towards a common goal and really leveraging a diverse mix of solutions, uh, because one solution alone is not going to solve food waste, whether that's, you know, standardizing date labels or consumer education all the way to the other end of the spectrum in terms of, you know, large-scale composting. We're going to need all of these solutions and more to make a meaningful change and, and cut food waste in half by 2030 um, in line with our national and global goals. So I'd it, say kind of, that was a bit a bit of a ramble, but in short, it means multiple actors working together across a suite of solutions. Mm.
1: Who has to be involved? Um, I mean, I would assume, you know, when you're talking systems level, you think national bodies, poly, you know, political bodies, above all sort of would, would have to be on board at least and that to affect change at that sort of level. And, and I would harness that political will. I think you'd need the general public sentiment to be a certain way as well. But who do you, who do you need to be involved for, for systems level change to occur? Who has to be at the table?
0: Yeah. I mean, for addressing food waste at the systems level, you know, first and foremost, we need food businesses to be on board. So the folks who are making decisions about how our food is, you know, grown, processed, distributed, transported, sold, we need them all at the table. And in large part, they are. Food businesses recognize this is, um, you know, a huge opportunity on the financial side. They recognize it's an opportunity to be, you know, improving their sustainability efforts. And they recognize it's an opportunity to, you know, be a leader in something. We've only, you know, we've seen dozens of food businesses make commitments to cut food waste in half or more by twenty thirty or or shorter timelines. And and now we need all of them to begin acting and, and several of them have already. Um, and then we also need policymakers to be at the table, both in terms of you know setting enabling policy environments or looking at opportunities where deregulation is going to be impactful. So standardized date labels is a really great example of that here in the United States where the only food product that's regulated at the federal level is actually infant formula and otherwise date labels are managed at the state level. And no two states of our fifty states are the same. <laughs> so that makes it, it really challenging for a yeah, that's, that's helpful.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, you know, a manufacturer, yeah. retailer to to navigate, you know, what we need in New York versus New Jersey versus, you know, Pennsylvania. Um, and and so there are opportunities where deregulation could have a good impact. Um, we also need capital providers at the table. Those twenty-seven solutions that we outlined, you know, plus the, the dozens more that have emerged over the past few years, um, many, if not all of those are going to take money to implement. Um, and a lot of those are potential revenue generating opportunities on the commercial side. They're not all, all charitable opportunities. Many of these have the a chance to grow into viable businesses. And then we also need you know entrepreneurs and innovators at the table to bring those solutions to life, to come up with the ideas that we haven't thought of in smart sensors and you know demand forecasting. So we we really do need a lot of people at the table. And then lastly I'd say we do need the general public. Uh, Forty I think it's 43% of food waste occurs in our homes. And I think to some extent we can work with food businesses to design some of that waste out of the system, whether it's better packaging or you know standardized date labels. I mentioned that one quite a lot but um there you know there's some things businesses and policy can do to help reduce food waste but the general public ultimately needs to be educated and aware and you know on board with this too if they're going to um if, or if we're going to make a dent in that 43 percent of waste
1: most of that is um i would say it's quite a sort of positive approach a, a kind of carrot approach you know we need to take roadblocks out of the way and we need and um and so on do you and certainly i think you know there are going to be a lot of proactive businesses who want to address these issues and see the benefits in doing that and and a sort of on board in a from an academic point of view as well but do you do you think there's a uh, there needs to be more of a i suppose the stick element to go with that a, a kind of regulation around certain elements for example To compel businesses to act in certain ways, or do you do you think that's do you think that would be detrimental ultimately?
0: You know, I don't know if it would be detrimental. I'd say the closest thing to a stick approach that we've seen so far are organic waste bans that we have in a couple of cities and states across the country, and those have actually been really effective at driving incentives, especially in places like Massachusetts, where they combined. The regulation around um, disposing of food waste from um, food businesses—you uh, know, with a certain square footage size—so uh, you know, trying to look at major retailers, restaurants, food service operations, things like that. So they combined um, both, you know, the, the fines and the, the penalty side of things with funding and program development around better food recovery, better food recycling. So in places where they've done kind of these multifaceted approaches to, you know, the, the stick policies, if you will, um, they've been really successful. And in a lot of places, those policies have actually been kind of the drivers for creating markets around um, how to better manage food waste. So they've been putting forward incentives for composters to come in, for anaerobic digestion to come in, for different food recovery approaches to come in. And it's been successful so far in the places where they've um, been implemented. And I'd say that's the closest thing to a stick that we've seen. Um, I think further regulation on food waste, um, for instance, like what we've seen in South Korea, might not have quite the right culture for something like that to work in the States. um, but. You know, it'd be incredible if if we could get to that kind of point where we're valuing food enough to you know be willing to pay fines on on food waste even at the consumer level. I you know I, I don't think we'll probably get there um, just because you know as a, a culture that that's not quite what we're into or what we respond sure. sure. to. Um, but I I could see a, a few more sticks coming up. Um, but ultimately, this is a a challenge that people aren't ignoring. And that people are willing to work on for so many different reasons, um, that I don't think we need too much too many sticks to be honest.
1: No, I, I think you're right. So maybe we could just touch on some of those ways to reduce food waste. I mean, the quite a lot of uh, listeners, you know, quite a lot of the audience are food businesses of one sort or another, and. I mean, the there was some pretty clear guidance again, and and provided for stakeholder groups as well, which was which was very useful. Made it easy to apply the information as well, which I thought was a great part of the report. But um, it seemed like the standout measure for businesses was really waste tracking and analytics. Is that still the case? And and what um, what do you recommend for businesses to focus on in that area?
0: Yeah. So. And you you stole my my first recommendation from me, but um, measuring oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, measuring food waste is really should be the first step that any food business is taking. Um, and there's kind of the old adage, or at least old in the food waste space, of you you manage what you measure. Um, so it's really hard for any food business to go in and address you know the excess eggplant they have if they don't know that they have that excess eggplant. So that's, that's usually what we instruct folks to do first is really start measuring and tracking. Some food businesses already have internal measurement systems that they can use to do that. There could be upgrades they're making to existing inventory management systems, um, or it could just be some extra analysis um, on reports they're already running to start looking at, at waste rates. Or where they might be ending up with surplus at the end of a day. And then there are um, solutions like a lean path or a winnow that you can actually have come in and, and set up when your business. Um, for instance, Sidexo rolled out Lean Path to um, hundreds of its locations over the past couple of years in order to increase um, waste tracking and analytics. So there are you know quite a few different ways that you can do that, but really that helps you understand, you know. What waste am I having? Why is it occurring? Um, and where is it going today? And in a lot of cases, that's going to be the landfill or you know, incineration if there's not already a, a food reduction, food waste reduction plan in, in place. Um, and so then, you know, from measuring your food waste, that's how you can really know what to do about it. So understanding if a lot of your food waste is coming from trim or over ordering or you know not changing your menu up enough, it can really help you understand what your next steps are to take. And so depending on you know what kind of business you are you know it can vary from um, being more creative about repurposing leftovers um, from other meals or other services. It could be um, better knife skills for your chefs to make sure that you're getting, you know, as much of a food product as you can. Um, It could be looking at opportunities to integrate trim into like stocks and soups, um, things like that, and just some, you know, practices that chefs are already using or wanting to use in a lot of areas. For retail, it could also be looking at opportunities to promote, you know, cosmetically imperfect produce Um, so just because that carrot has an extra bend in it still is going to taste exactly the same going to get you the exact same nutrients so let's think about um, how we can better promote those products to our customers and maybe offer some discounts to make sure that those products are moving so there's really a lot that that companies could be doing Um, and then always making sure that you have a great food recovery partner in place who's able to pick up food at the right intervals at the right times of the day and collect the right products from you. Um, And then also seeing what opportunities you have, you know, locally or regionally around um, composting, animal feed or anaerobic digestion for taking care of food waste that can't be either reincorporated into your operations or rescued and recovered and redistributed to those who need it.
1: Brilliant. So there's, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're dead right. You know, there's there's a lot that can be done, but it all starts with knowing what you're wasting and uh, and and reviewing what's going on. So yeah, start yeah. there. Absolutely.
0: And, and just to add on to that, you know, you might find that there's a certain time in the week or a certain time in the day when you know you're wasting more than than at others. And just looking at at trends and gleaning insights from from measuring your waste can be really eye opening. And let you spot, you know, kind of hot spots uh, in your operations where there's really an opportunity to dig in and and always looking for the lowest hanging fruit is what we encourage people to do. And and not every solution is gonna be super sexy or a technology solution. Some of it is really simple, um, like checking freshness dates on on your on your date labels and, and things like that. So there's a lot that could be going on in the background, um, but it's still really exciting work, and still should be, you know, successes that are shared.
1: On a smaller scale, I suppose it's what you are, what you are doing as an organization, really, isn't it? You, you sort of look at the data that you're getting back and and identify what would have the biggest payoff. You know, what mm-hmm. what are the actions that you can take that would really help your business and 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 help food waste and everything else? So, yeah. Absolutely, one of the other things I was going to just just touch on with sort of a ways to help reduce food waste in businesses was um talked about the effect of all you can eat, sort of whether restricting that or, or um i suppose removing that as a as an option but it was it's not is that a particularly big issue in in the states It's not something that is is very common over here um and i was just I was sort of interested to see that. As something that would have such a, such a big effect, really.
0: Um, it, all you can eat is something we love here in the States. And I'm actually it's a big, originally a big from cultural Texas thing. where <laughs> it's even bigger. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think it's, it's one thing to say, you know, stop, stop doing all you can eat options. And for some people, that's the design of their business. That's one of their selling points. So it's, not the most realistic way to go to just say, you know, stop it.
1: No.
0: Um, but what people can do is work within, you know, work within what you've already set up. So if all you can eat is is something that your business does, think about things like smaller plates or take away trays from your buffet line um, so that people are just taking the food that they need at that time, and make it so people can have an opportunity to come back up if they want to. If people know they can come back, they're a little less likely to to pile on the food. If they don't have a tray, they're less likely to, you know, take four extra things um, mm-hmm. all at once. But more likely to come back, and this applies to university settings too, where a lot of universities have, you know, in a sense, kind of all you can eat or, you know, all you can cram on your tray <laughs> often. Mm-hmm. And you can also think about, um, like the serving size of the spoons that are out in your displays. They're, you know, you can put a bowl upside down in a display of lettuce so it looks more full just because we have, pers- you know, we perceive things as full and bountiful, meaning good, and I should eat, eat that one as opposed to if there's, you know, a tray with just a small amount of lettuce, we're less likely to to pull from that, for instance. Mm. So there there are some creative strategies that folks can use um, in even better managing things like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And then of course um, still doing like demand forecasting, looking at, you know, which of these trays are actually being eaten, how is our menu changing from day to day or week to week. So a lot of the same ideas and thinking still apply, um, although I, I don't think we'll be getting rid of all you can eat buffets.
1: I, it, it's a really good example, I suppose, of the you know the cultural hurdles to, to sort of mm-hmm. to get over in the way that things are different. It's it's not it's those it does exist here. All you can eat as a as a thing, but it's just not embedded in the same way. It's not. Um, it's not an expectation. I think is probably the probably the thing, and that must be a very difficult thing to change if it's if it is uh, as deeply embedded as that seems to be. But, uh,
0: yeah, and, and I think that's part of part of the consumer education opportunity too. Of uh, and, and probably one of the harder areas that'll be mm. to change and that we might not, you know, that might be more of a long-term strategy, but, you know, thinking about those cultural perceptions of, you know, what makes us want to reach out and, and you know, grab something off the shelf or grab something off a buffet. And a lot of it is kind of embedded in these ideas of, you know, bounty and abundance being really good things. Um, and in some ways that, you know, has turned out to be a bad thing because it causes us to waste or something doesn't look perfect or it's not... Surrounded by other beautiful heads of lettuce, you know, we don't want to take it for some reason. So I think you're spot on that it is a, an interesting cultural thing that I think, it, especially here in the States that, you know, we'll have to grapple with. Um, and I think something also that developing countries will see as their, um, you know, middle classes grow as, as populations become more wealthy. Um, I could see that being a challenge in other places, too. And hopefully we'll learn something from it here in the States.
1: I think it's um it's an interesting thing and not to you know sort of go off on a go off on a tangent but just the um I think it's a particularly difficult thing where you know the say the west however you want to define that but it's, if there's some benefit that or some perceived benefit the west has had that you know we're we're sort of seeing is actually a, a behavior that needs to change it's a very difficult thing to to say to other Parts of the world, you know, and you sort of see this in, uh, I think, particularly in climate change and you know, the amount mm-hmm. of meat in the diet and those sorts of things. But to say, you know, actually you can't have this thing that we've had the benefit of for however long because now we've realised it's not, it's not a not a good idea. It's a very very hard sell, I think. And I, I guess this would be another, you know, it could be another one if things like, if this becomes a popular thing in other areas, you know, you, you sort of don't have the high ground i suppose to dictate to people that's the that's the difficulty perhaps
0: yeah i mean i'd say probably uh, you know at least one advantage we have over the you know climate change which is a much trickier topic to challenge to attack to sorry a much trickier topic to tackle um is that you know we'll probably have learned so much in the you know even in the past five years and the next five years that other countries can learn from. And hopefully food waste solutions are something that, you know, can be leapfrogged, if you will, such that, you know, there isn't, there's no, you know, pro food waste lobby, you know, anywhere in the world. And so, (laughs) you know, right now in the developing world, they're, you know, dealing with kind of different challenges in the supply chain in terms of where food loss and waste occurs. But I'm, you know, I'm hopeful at least that we'll have learned so much and had so much success in different areas of the world that other, you know, countries or regions can adopt similar approaches and, you know, not have to make the mistakes that we have uh, without it being quite such a challenge around kind of what you're talking about around you know dictating that you know you can't have this just because you, you know, developed after we did. But you know, we're in the states, we're learning so much from what's happened and the progress that's been made in the UK and across the EU, for example. Um, you know, we're—I'd say—we're at least half a decade behind on on our food waste journey, and I think we're able to move probably a little bit quicker. And you know, time will tell, just because we're able to learn what you guys have already learned.
1: Let's hope so. Let's hope, and uh, yeah, I, I guess that's the one of the key benefits of sharing information in the way that an organization like refed does really isn't it that's the enabling oh, yeah. piece of the puzzle that's um that hopefully makes those things smoother all round. what what do you think has changed since the publication of the roadmap i mean we're talking you know four going on five years since that has since that was launched are there signs for example you know that the systems level changes that are needed will happen anytime soon are you are you seeing a developing picture, or do you are you sort of having the same conversations as you were when that was published?
0: We've seen a lot change, um, and that's why we're really excited to have this kind of next version of the roadmap in the Insights Engine. Um, not only that it's coming out, but that it, because it's going to be a digital resource, it's something that we can update ongoing instead of having these kind of static reports come out every few years. And so. I'd say so much has happened, Uh, you know, at at the kind of macro level, we don't have the data analyzed yet to say whether or not we've actually seen any reduction in food waste. Um, But we're going to be able to say that um, pretty confidently later this fall. And then we've seen so many food businesses start to get involved and start to work on food waste. We've seen really ambitious commitments um kroger for example has a zero hunger zero waste commitment ikea has commitments to slash food waste by 2025 so we've we've seen a lot of commitments kind of in line with and then more ambitious than our global and national sorry yeah our global and national goals to cut food waste in half by 2030 we've also seen so much innovation happen so we are updating the number of solutions that we're looking at. We are putting out new data on solutions later this year. And, you know, we started with a a list of 70 and are kind of narrowing in on the ones where we can get sufficient data. Um, But that's, you know, almost tripling the solutions that we saw when we looked in 2016. So a lot of innovations happened in the sector. And then we've also seen a lot of money flowing into the sector. (coughs) When we put out a report in November 2018, we were looking at, you know, millions of dollars, both on the public, philanthropic and private um, sides from capital providers. And there's just been so much interest and so much activity happening around the space. So we've seen a lot of different pieces come together of kind of the the systems level, you know, puzzle to reducing food waste. We just uh, need to do a little bit more work on the data side to be able to tell. You know what impact that's had, or not?
1: Do you find, uh, say, policymakers? I mean, do you find they're on, on board in a way that they perhaps weren't before? And you know, the conversations that you're having—do are, are people on the same page? Perhaps is—is is that uh, you know something that's not not maybe so sort of quantifiable? But do, do you do you feel that?
0: um Yeah, I'd, I'd say people are definitely on the same page, and we're fortunate that this is a topic that no one's really against um there have been some food waste bills introduced that haven't passed but i don't think that's because of a you know lack of commitment to addressing food waste um, but more so the you know the legislative you know just the way that our our bureaucracy is set up let's leave it at that um
1: let's let's do that
0: (laughs) and but we have seen you know just a lot of action on the, the policy side too, both You know, largely at the local and state levels in terms of organic landfill bans. Um, You know, the Trump administration has signed agreements. We we actually have an agreement with USDA, EPA, and FDA to collaborate on work around food waste. They also signed a similar agreement. Those three agencies did with the Food Waste Reduction Alliance, which is an industry association here in the states. Um, So there's a lot of will and we're seeing these three main agencies that really work on food waste topics start to find formal ways to align themselves with those who are working on it. So working really closely with the nonprofit sector, working really closely with the private sector, and um, really doing what they can to create an enabling environment, whether that's through research, through funding, through just statements of commitment. Uh, I, I definitely think everyone's on the same page.
1: Brilliant. and. Um... you you mentioned a few times what you're working on now really the project is the insights engine maybe we could just sort of just expand on that a little bit really what you said it's all online is this really a a case of getting this information into a digital format so it's sort of more easy to distribute or is this is this separate research in different areas what what is it exactly
0: yeah so a lot of it is aggregating data that's kind of out there in the world in in some form or fashion, and pulling it together so that people have kind of a one-stop shop for where they go for data insights and guidance on food waste and solutions to it. So this will be a place where food businesses, policymakers, capital providers, innovators, um, other nonprofits, academia where they can all come for kind of the latest information as it relates to food waste. Um, So we're going to be developing a whole set of interactive tools to be able to look at um, how much food waste we have, the causes, where food waste is going today and all of those same factors that I talked about that food businesses should be looking at themselves. We're also going to be um, putting out digital tools around investment in the space to capital providers Um, Could And, you know, whether that's a private investor, a public fund or a grant maker could go in and see, you know, where is their need, where are their financing gaps and, you know, where could I be playing in the sector? We'll continue to track innovation and policy across food waste. So anyone can go in and see, you know, what policies are pending or have passed in my area. Where's another state who's passed similar policies that I'm looking at that I could learn from? Um, What type of solution providers are out there? How do I get connected with them? And ultimately, the goal of of building this tool is to help people really move from awareness to action. So they'll be able to come, you know, interact with the data. They'll be able to customize and filter the data so that they can really see themselves in it. And then Mm. walk away from that knowing, okay, here are the solutions I should be prioritizing. Here are the different types of stakeholders I need to be working with here are the impact opportunities on an environmental and social level and really hoping that that enables people to walk away with an action plan of what they're going to be doing or at least knowing like what are the outstanding questions that i need to answer to move forward
1: that and sounds really- fantastic that's <laughs> um i mean is this imminent or are we a little way off from actually launching
0: it'll be launched in october of 2020 so not not too much longer. Um, and then we'll be looking to also have this be a more regularly updated resource. So the roadmap was published in 2016. Even a lot of the data sources from that by now are a decade or so old. And we need you know better, more real-time data to be really making informed decisions across the sector. So we'll be updating the data as often as possible to make sure that we're not providing outdated recommendations and that um, it really is kind of the most up-to-date available data that folks could be accessing.
1: That's, I mean, it really does sound, sounds great. Um, When it launches, is it going to be sort of within the refed website? Is it some, will people, will it be a standalone separate thing? Is it, how do people access it?
0: Um, Right now it, we're doing all of the build and development of it. Uh, it'll live within the Refed website, so you can expect a bright and shiny new Refed website come October.
1: Brilliant. Well, I mean, I will be, you know, linking the the websites and um, the current resources to this to the show note for this, so people can click through to that. So if, if it if it the engine will be on there at you know once it's ready in October, then um, you know I'll definitely be looking out for that. That sounds sounds fantastic Wonderful. um i would think we're, we're starting to run out of time and i i generally draw these interviews together by just asking a few more sort of general questions in a slightly more quick fire way would you be happy to do a few of those
0: okay yes
1: brilliant all right um so if i ask you uh, in the context of food, if I say success, who do you think of, and why?
0: I think, uh, oh man, that's a big question.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you know, the first person that comes to mind is is actually Refed's Executive Director Dana Gunders. She was one of the first people to get the food waste issue kind of on the radar of everyone in America, and. She's one of the most inspiring, passionate, dedicated people I've had the pleasure of working with, and um, she's just truly exceptional in everything that she's done in the space.
1: Was she a part of the reason for wanting to come to the organization in the first place?
0: She, I, I unfortunately can't say that she was. Um, she just became our executive director last fall. Um, but ah, okay. it, and so this is actually my my first time to work so closely with her. We had passed cross at, at other organizations for quite a few years now and um, you know I'd interviewed her for research and things like that but getting to work directly with her has been a real treat
1: must be I'd, I'd actually um I knew of refed because of her uh, was it kitchen waste handbook <laughs> I come across that and so I knew of refed as an organization before we you know before I looked into getting ready for this interview so yeah great answer um do you So if you could pick up the phone and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you say to her?
0: I would tell her, keep your eyes wide open because you have no idea what you're going to be doing in the world. Um, I actually have a a minor in environmental studies, and I I took one class on food and sustainable ag, and one of our, our first projects was writing a paper about our food culture, And I I literally remember going and telling my professor that I had no idea what to write because I didn't really have a food culture and I didn't, you know, food wasn't that (laughs) big of a part of my life. And uh, I I remember that vividly. And after I had, or I think it was when I started working on the academic paper I I co-authored, I emailed that same professor and said, guess what? (laughs) probably never saw this coming, but I'm working on this paper and, you know, do you know anybody in the space, blah, blah, blah.
1: Um, Wow. Fantastic. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, It's been, it's been really fascinating. Thank you very much for your time. Um, Would you like to direct people who are listening anywhere in particular? Um, Would you just say sort of go to the website and go from there or,
0: yeah, I'd say check out our website or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, that's, we share a lot of stuff out on there as well as we do from from our website. So refed.com.
1: Great. Well, I will put all of the – I'll put a link to that in the show note. If you're listening, you should just be able to click on information for this episode and, and it'll be there, so you can just click through now. Um, Katie, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been great to talk to you.
0: Thanks so much, Alex. Have a great one.